0: What's up guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host Tyler and man what a week in the world of college athletics. Just absolute insanity all week. My eyes were literally glued to my phone almost the entire week looking for constant minute by minute updates. Couldn't pull my eyes away. It was horrifying yet captivating at the same time. I can't really explain it. But it certainly had my attention all week long, as I'm sure it did most of you guys as well. And we did our best to cover and kind of react to just all the insanity and the consequential developments across the landscape of college athletics in real time last week. We really tried to share our thoughts with you guys as things were actually happening. And I'm glad we did that. I think that was something that we really needed to make sure to cover for you guys. But there are also other things that we did want to talk about that we actually had been previously scheduled to discuss on the show, but what went down last week kind of overshadowed everything else, and it just didn't make sense to ignore it and kind of just go about a regular business like everything was just status quo. That just kind of felt disingenuous, so we didn't want to do that, and that meant that last week was more about kind of the macro view of the, kind of the immediate and long-term outlook for college football and really college athletics in general, and, and we're going to continue to react to those developments as necessary as they pop up. But this week, we're going to narrow the focus and put it firmly back on the Georgia Bulldogs, which is exactly where we always like it to be. And look, I I can't guarantee that the 2020 fall season is going to happen as much as I want to guarantee that for you. I simply cannot. But we've got to hope that things continue to trend in the right direction. Students returning to college campuses have got to make good decisions. Please, guys, if you're listening out there and you are a student, please make good decisions and help us all out. And look, all of us in the general population, we've got to continue to do our part as well. But for right now, the season is still on. So we're going to continue to produce content here in the Glory UGA podcast, getting you guys ready for the 2020 fall football season until we hear otherwise, until something changes. But I will say, and I kind of like hesitate to put this out there because things are changing seemingly by the minute. But as of right now, I'm actually significantly more confident about our chances to get in fall football season than I was this time last week. Remember, it was last Sunday. I'm recording this Sunday night, and this time last week was when all the rumors started to hit social media, that the Big Ten was going to cancel football, that we were all glued to everything on Monday, and then everything happened on Tuesday. Like, we all know that. So last Sunday, I had to admit, like I was in a bad place, man. It wasn't good. But here we are a week later, and I'm a lot more confident in the possibility of us getting into college football season this fall. Again, not not guaranteeing anything because the swings have been wild. The emotional swings have been out of control. And who knows? Tomorrow, some junk might go down, and I'll be back spiraling back into the depths of despair once again. That's certainly possible, but as of right now, I'm feeling a lot more confident because you know the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC. We all know they held off canceling the fall season or postponing the fall season last week, and then over the weekend we got some what I think was very positive news that at least had kind of tra- has us trending in the right direction. We got news of the FDA's emergency approval of a saliva-based test, which could be an absolute game changer. I'm certainly not an expert. I am not a doctor. Certainly take away everything I say from a medical perspective with a grain of salt, do your own research, but from everything I looked at this weekend when I saw this, I think this has a chance to be a game changer in terms of kind of restoring some kinda sense of normalcy. Apparently this saliva-based testing, it's less invasive than the nasal swab, and and more importantly, I think far more importantly, it's far less expensive, like as in one-tenth of the cost of the nasal swab. And that's important because what that means, it'll, it'll allow for more widespread testing, which kind of takes the pressure off of colleges and universities who might have been wary of using tests for their athletes in the name of playing college athletics, while there may, may have been shortages elsewhere around the country for different segments of the general population. That's kind of bad optics. And I know, I know that they were worried about that. The NBA, the major league baseball was certainly worried about that. The NFL has been worried about that. So, with this saliva-based testing, I think that potential for bad optics, that shouldn't be an issue any longer. And you can also provide for more consistent testing of players as in like every day or maybe five days a week rather than two or three days a week. Two or three days a week is great, but if you can test more often than that, I mean, really, the, the, the more often you can test, the better off we're going to be and the more likely it is that we're going to be able to play this fall. So I think that's huge. And I also think this could be ba- this could be big for universities at large now that students are coming back. The reduced cost means that potentially more students could get tested, which in general could kind of help get COVID under control on these campuses that let's be real, athletes are a part of and that's something we've got to watch very closely and we should definitely be concerned about basically it seems like this saliva-based testing is just going to make things more efficient make testing more widespread and less invasive all huge and find the coronavirus and it's also an open source testing method which is important because that basically means that any lab with testing capacities can follow the protocol and process the test in its lab which really helps mitigate some of the issues we've had with shortages of testing components which is kind of been an issue. I mean, you guys know Charlie came on here about about a month, month and a half ago now, and told you guys that she kind of like halfway through her vacation turned back around because she was having some cold symptoms and went and got tested for the coronavirus. So she got the rapid response test and tested negative, but they told her, "Wait, you can't really quite trust this. We're gonna send this off to the lab and give you more accurate tests and get those results back." So you can we'll get those back in about a week or so. And as far as I know, I have to ask her again. But as far as I know, last time I heard from her she had still not gotten those second results back. So with this open source testing method, that kind of thing should not be happening anymore. she get those results back with a really quick turnaround, which again, I think could be an absolute game changer. So I think that was huge news over the weekend. And it certainly boosted my confidence. Again, not guaranteeing anything as we've seen through this entire pandemic. Predictions when it comes to coronavirus are exercises in futility, but Still, it's certainly some of the more promising news that we've had in a while when it comes to fighting this virus and the potential for having a fall football season. So certainly encouraging news. And on top of that, we also saw a number of cardiologists from around the world, including many, by the way, who don't particularly care about college football at all. So you can't say that they're biased. They came out and blasted The Journal of American Medicine article on myocarditis that the Big Ten has allegedly leaned on really heavily as medical justification for their decision to, quote unquote, postpone their fall football season. You had a cardiologist from the Imperial College in London who clearly, given the fact that he lives in London, has no dog in the fight when it comes to college football. He went as far to call the Journal of American Medicine paper, straight-up gibberish. That's what he called it, quote, gibberish. The exact quote was, uh, if we as a profession are happy to retweet gibberish, we can't blame universities, sports associations, and governments for talking nonsense. Boom, shots fired. And look, again, I'm certainly not an expert, and I'm not going to try to pretend to be. I can honestly say that I had to read the social media threads more than a few times trying to understand what in the world they were talking about. Just a little bit over my layman head. But some of the big issues, I figured it out after a while, some of the big issues they had with that study and the subsequent paper are that apparently the youngest patient used in that study that was presented in that paper, in that article, was apparently 45 years old, which I'm not a smart man, but even I know that obviously limits and perhaps even eliminates the study's relevance out of hand considering that the Big Ten is applying it to 18 and 23-year-old college athletes. And also on top of that, the screening that was done in the study was only an imaging study, which doesn't provide a ton of data. And and apparently a lot of the statistics in the paper weren't remotely even feasible. It's like not possible. Basically, the gist of it was the cardiologists from different parts of the world We're just having a grand old time over the weekend laughing at the shoddiest scholarship of that Journal of American Medicine paper and the fact that any reasonable person or institution would would remotely use that to justify canceling anything or, or building any sort of policy off of that paper. So that was kind of interesting to see over the weekend. But do I think that's going to get the Big Ten to reverse their decision? No, I don't have much confidence that that's going to happen. Anything's possible, but I I wouldn't say that's remotely likely right now. But what I do think it does is it provides the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12 a little more cover now that that paper has been pretty much debunked in a way that gives their medical advisors in those conferences, a little more credibility in terms of what they were advising when it comes to myocarditis, which is that heart inflammation disorder. And what the medical advisors in the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are essentially saying is that myocarditis is something that we are very familiar with. It's not new. It's not catching us off guard. We already screen for it. We know how to diagnose it. Yes, it's certainly serious, but again, we screen for it. We know how to diagnose it, and we know what to do if a player is diagnosed with it, how to treat it. A Seth Emerson, actually, I really encourage you guys to go check out his article. He had a Great article on The Athletic this weekend where he was interviewing an infectious disease expert that's part of the SEC Return to Play Task Force. I think she was from LSU. I really encourage you to read that if you get a chance. It was was really kind of enlightening. The expert from LSU, I thought she did a really great job of kind of just laying out exactly why myocarditis maybe isn't the threat the Big Ten and Pac 12 have made it out to be. So good news there on the medical front. Again, things can change in an instant, but. Better news than we've had in a while, I think. And I just wanted to update you guys on that in case you missed it over the weekend. But what I really want to do today, and we're going to get to that right now, is to start to put the focus back on our beloved Georgia Bulldogs and our preparation for the 2020 football season. Because guys, fall camp starts Monday. Let's go. Kirby had his fall camp opening press conference or in this case, his opening Zoom call. He had that a little earlier this evening on Sunday, and there was some news coming out of that. But before we break all of that down, I want to take just a few minutes to give some love to the newest member of the 2021 recruiting class, and that is Mr. Brock Bowers. Welcome to Dog Nation, my friend. And look, guys, I released my 2021 recruiting most wanted list version 2.0 a couple weeks ago on the podcast You can still check that out if you you happen to miss that. But in that release, I had Bowers, who's a tight end from Napa, California, all the way up in my top five most wanted prospects, coming in at number four. Now, he committed last Monday, which just so happened to be the day where all the rumors were swirling. And that was when Nebraska was talking about looking at options to play outside the Big Ten. Scott Frost was kind of laying the gauntlet down. So needless to say, the Bowers commitment kind of got lost in the shuffle there. Heck, I mean, we're a Georgia podcast, and we didn't even mention it last week on the show. I-, I tweeted about it, and I was really excited about it there on social media, but we didn't talk about it on the podcast, so I want to fix that today. You know, When college football is facing an existential crisis of sorts, you tend to zero in on that, but again, I want to rectify that today and give our man Brock some love, and if you guys listen to the Most Wanted episode, you know I love this guy, and I've been saying that since... Early, early on in the offseason, going back to what, probably April, May. And uh, I really have, you know, from the very first time I saw his tape, I've loved this guy. From the very first time I turned on that tape, I've said it before and I'll say it again right now for anyone who hasn't heard me say it. The dude is a game changer. And when I'm evaluating recruits, the first thing I ask myself is, is this guy a game changer? That's where we are as a program right now because those are the type of guys that we need in order to take us to the next level and win a national title. We need as many of those guys as we can get. We have a lot of them, but we need as many as we can get, and Bowers is that type of guy in my opinion. Why Why do I think that? Well, he is a prototype new age tight end. He was laser-timed with a 4-5-5 40-yard dash and put up an official vertical jump of 40.2 inches as a, I think he was 16, either 16 or just turned 17 last year, last May at an opening regional camp. Just to put that into perspective, that is faster than all but one tight end. Albert Okwakmanom from Missouri was the only tight end at the NFL Combine who actually ran a 40-yard dash at the Combine over the past two seasons to put up a faster 40-yard dash time than that four five five from Brock Bowers. And he also had a better vertical than any of the tight ends that actually jumped and did the vertical test at the Combine over the past two years. And he did that as a rising junior in high school. And to put this in even more perspective for you, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, two of the best, maybe the two best tight ends in the NFL right now, who both just signed big mega contracts for tight ends. Well, Travis Kelsey at his Combine outing. He uh, put up a 4.63 40-yard dash at the combine, and then he put up a 35-inch vertical jump at his pro day. Good numbers, respectable numbers, really good numbers, but Brock Bowers had better numbers than those as a rising junior in high school. George Kittle from the 49ers, uh, he had he was just a little bit faster than Bowers when he was at his combine. He had, he put up a 4.52 40-yard dash, but he also only had a 35-inch vertical. So Bowers is essentially as fast as a rising junior back in May of 2019 as George Kittle was when he came out going to the NFL and had a five inch higher vertical leap than either Kelsey or Kittle. So just to put that in perspective for you guys, this dude is a plus athlete. And oh yeah, did I mention that he is 6'3", 225? Now he does need to add a little weight to that frame to get to 245, 250, but I have full confidence. I'm not worried about that at all. I mean, he's going to do that once he gets to a college weight program. In fact, He's probably a lot closer to that right now. Those measurements are from that same opening regional camp back in May of 2019. So he's probably 230, 235 right now. Not that far away from being where he used to be from a size perspective. But the guy is an absolute plus athlete in the tight end position. But you might be asking, why? Like, why does that matter? Like, why does that get you all excited? And I've talked about this before, but it bears mentioning again There is a reason tight ends are signing record deals in the NFL right now. With George Kittle, we just talked about him. He just signed a $75 million deal over five years. Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs just got $57 million over four years. The reason those guys are now getting their just due financially is because offenses in the NFL have finally realized how valuable they are because these new age hybrid tight ends, they put the defense in conflict with their personnel packages. Let me try to explain this a little bit more in detail. If you have an athletic tight end that can run and catch like a wide receiver, but that can also play inline and pose at least a competent threat as an inline blocker, defenses are forced to pick their poison. They cannot be right from a personnel standpoint if you do it the right way. For example, if the defense goes with lighter nickel and dime personnel to match up against the threat of the tight end in the pass game, Well, the offense can then run it down their throat if that tight end can also block. If he's truly a hybrid type guy, a dual threat tight end, we talk about dual threat quarterbacks. I think you can say that tight ends can now be dual threat tight ends. Can you block and also go out there and run routes with the best of them? But then if the defense subs in heavier personnel to slow down the run game, then the tight end, the running back, and the wide receivers are going to exploit them in the passing game. They just can't keep up in the passing game. And let me give you a a better example here. And I've used this example to illustrate this before, but some of you might have missed this. Let's go into some detail with this. And that's LSU's offense from last year, because since that's the most recent example to really go with, it's kind of fresh in our minds. Let's go with them. Now, don't get me wrong. Joe Brady was great. He came into LSU last year and helped change that offense. But I still maintain that he could not have done that without having the right personnel to work with. Joe Brady was great. He helped change the game for them. But I think it was more about the personnel they had last year than it was about Joe Brady. Because it wasn't really necessarily the plays that they were running that were revolutionary. They they weren't doing anything all that different from a lot of spread teams in in what we see them do schematically week in and week out. What made them so difficult to defend last year was, number one, they just had incredible skills. Those guys were just so talented at the skill position. But a lot of teams have talented skill guys, what made them such a problem to deal with was the matchup issues that they presented thanks to the fact that they had hybrid offensive players to work with. And sure, that guy back there throwing passes at them, he wasn't half bad either. But even with Burrow, who as great as he was, and maybe the probably, I would say at this point, the best single season from a college football quarterback that I've ever seen. But even with Burrow, as good as he was, I don't know if they would have been as dynamic offensively if they didn't have two guys, Thaddeus Moss and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and they didn't have those two guys to work with. Nobody talks about Thaddeus Moss, but I think he was a very underrated aspect of that offense. Yes, their wide receivers were dynamic too. Chase, Jefferson, fantastic. But again, a lot of teams have dynamic wide receivers. But when you can combine dynamic quarterback play and dynamic wideouts with hybrid players at tight end and running back, that could be threats both in the run and passing that are dual threats themselves then you have the recipe for a record-setting offense, and that's exactly what we saw last year from LSU. I mean, guys, LSU ran their entire offense out of 11 personnel. Their entire offense was run out of the same 11 personnel. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would venture to say, after breaking them down, you can probably count on one hand the number of plays that they weren't in 11 personnel with one running back, one tight end, and three wideouts. Why is that important? Well, it means that you can run your entire offense, your entire playbook without ever having to sub. And that makes you lethal offensively. Think about our offense, and the amount of skill players over the past couple of years that really forever that you've seen running in and out of the game. From play to play really I mean it really is a play to play basis got guys running in and out of the game on first and ten we might be in 12 personnel to run the ball and then on second and seven after a three yard game we might be in 11 personnel and then on third and short we might be in 21 personnel and we're having a sub between each down to change that personnel and when you do that when you sub as an offense to get your to get your specialized players on the field for the down and distances that they specialize in well, you also give the defense a chance to sub and match your personnel. However, when you have hybrid players at tight end and running back like LSU did last year, and I'm talking true hybrid players, you can run your entire offense out of 11 personnel and do it out of different formations. You can go traditional inline tight end in with three wide receivers. You can go H-back with three wide receivers. You can go four wide. You can go empty all with the exact same players on the field without ever having to sub Anyone, and if you don't sub on offense, that means the defenses—they also cannot sub to get their specialized players on the field to match the formations you were throwing at them. Let's say, for example, that LSU has been run the ball on you. So, coming out the next drive, you open the drive with your just your basic nickel defense to defend three wide receivers. And on this particular drive, LSU, let's say for this sake, they open in shotgun, three wide receivers, and an inline tight end, kind of a, a, a traditional shotgun, three-wide receiver look, right? And then on first down, they, they run the ball for three yards, so it's second and seven. Then they run it again on second down out of the exact same formation, but this time you stuffed them. So now it's third and seven, and you want to bring in your dime defense to get your specialized pass rushers, your guys like Adam Anderson on the field, get your cover guys on the field, guys like Tyreek Stevenson, who are third-down specialists. You might want to get N'Kobe Dean, who's your your third-down inside linebacker that you, that you feel comfortable with out there covering in space but you can't bring those guys in. You can't change your personnel because LSU did not sub and they play with a hurry up system. So on third down, they come out with their tight end who was in line the previous two downs, but now he's split out with a four wide receiver look. And then, oh yeah, by the way, they motion the running back out and now they're in an empty formation against your basic nickel package, which means that you have two inside linebackers that don't really play on third down in, in cover situations. They're now out of the box in space, trying to cover a tight end and a running back that both have wide receiver skills. You simply cannot win that. You cannot win that unless they make a mistake. Maybe you get a pass rush. You get to the quarterback. Maybe something like that happens. But you're not winning that coverage matchup. It's just not happening. At least not consistently. And, and so for a while, football was about specialized packages. Like 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 us, bringing our bringing our third down package in, bringing in the Adam Anderson, the Tyreek Stevens, bringing in those guys. But now it's increasingly becoming about hybridization, where you have the same guys on the field defensively, just like the offenses have the same guys on the field, and you can you can run different packages with those same players. Those are the kind of guys you need. That's that's why I really want a guy like James Williams out of Miami. I was really not happy when he committed to Miami. and I hope that we're still staying on him and doing our best to flip him because he's the kind of guy that is that new new age kind of hybrid defensive player, kind of like a guy like Isaiah Simmons from Clemson the past couple years. But that's exactly what a guy like Brock Bowers can give you. He can give you that hybridization. And that is why I'm so excited to land him, especially when you match him with an offensive coordinator that has spent time in the NFL and who understands the importance of using tight ends and running backs in the passing game. I think it could be a match made in heaven. So really excited to land Brock Bowers. I also want to give you guys real quickly here another name to watch that's kind of popped up recently because I always know that every time we get a commitment, the next question is, well, who's who's going to commit next? Who's the next guy to pop? Well, I think the next guy to pop might be a guy named Javon Bullard out of Baldwin High School in Milledgeville. I had not really heard much about this guy in the past week or so, but he's apparently supposed to be committing Monday night. He's a three-star cornerback prospect right now. But I wouldn't pay too much attention to that with the lack of camps this spring and the fact that the guys who do the rankings just haven't had a chance to see a bunch of these guys this year because we just haven't had camps. I wouldn't put a ton of stock into the rankings right now. I really wouldn't. Just watch these guys, pull up their tape, and watch them on your own and do your own evaluations. Basically, if you weren't on the radar as a freshman or sophomore, you probably aren't going to be ranked that high right now. It's just kind of the circumstances that we are in. But I really not heard much about Bullard until the past week or so. And there's honestly not a ton of tape of him playing cornerback. He also plays wide receiver on his high school team. You see a lot of him at that position. But cornerback is what he projects to play at the next level. But from the tape I have seen of him just as an athlete... He plays a lot of game speed. I don't know exactly how fast he is. I don't have a, a time for him. I didn't see a 40 time, but he looks fast on tape. He plays fast on tape. He's also a very fluid athlete, which I think supports, especially if you're going to play cornerback. You have those fluid hips. He's got good length. And, and it sounds right now, based on the guys who do this for a living, that cover these guys, it sounds like there's a strong chance that he might be the next guy to jump on board our 2021 recruiting class. So just something to look out for there. Over the, over the next day or so, but now I want to turn our attention to fall camp, and man, I got to say, that was really good to say right now, right, like this time last week, I didn't know if we'd be talking about fall camp, so even if we don't get that season, it's just good to be able to say that we are at least in fall camp, we got some actual on-the-field football to talk about, so Kirby held his opening Zoom press conference of fall camp on Sunday night. And he passed along a few news items, some things we'd already kind of heard through the grapevines, but also some new things as well. Now, it was reported late last week that true freshman cornerback Keely Ringo underwent shoulder surgery, which I think was the biggest thing that Kirby confirmed on this press conference. He said, yeah, absolutely. He did undergo the shoulder surgery. What I've heard, it was a labrum injury. Uh, and It's kind of frustrating on some level because one thing I did not know that Kirby revealed was that this is an injury that he was dealing with in high school. So it kind of goes back to his high school days, kind of just lingering. And they thought that he might be able to play through it and it might just kind of go away on its own, I guess. And, and I get it. Like, look, you want to try to avoid surgery at all costs. I totally get that. You, don't, you do not want to go under the knife if you can avoid it. So it makes sense on some level to try to just give it a chance to see how it responds. But it looks like it didn't respond the way they wanted, so he went in and had shoulder surgery last week is my understanding. And, uh, look, uh, again, I'm not a, I'm not a medical expert, but I have been around a couple of people with some labrum injuries and typically the way that works, it's usually like an eight to 12 week recovery because what has to happen first is the, the muscle has to like reattach to, to the bone, the shoulder, right? So that usually takes four to six weeks and then once it reattaches, then you guys spend another four or six weeks trying to strengthen it up to make sure it doesn't have an issue again. So, probably eight to 12 weeks, somewhere in that time frame, which means he's not going to necessarily be out for the entire season. If I had to handicap it, I'd say there's, look, if we put it at, at eight weeks, 10 weeks, you, you get him back sometime mid October ish. Certainly, it's not great that I have him in fall camps, considering he's a freshman, hasn't been here through a camp. You want him to be here getting all those reps and kind of making his way through the depth chart. But uh, unfortunately, that's just not going to be possible right now. Still, he'll be there getting middle reps, and he's just the kind of athlete that I think once he gets back fully cleared, we might still try to find a way to get him on the field. Kind of like we saw with Tyree Stevenson last year, kind of coming on late in the process. And uh, there's, the, I think the West Virginia, either athletic director or president, was talking about trying to get a waiver for every player, even if they play this fall or not, to have this year of eligibility preserved because obviously things have just been upended with coronavirus. So that might actually help us out there as well. But at least we know it's it doesn't seem like it's going to be necessarily season ending, but he's out right now for the foreseeable future. There were also a few rumors over the past week or so that started to pop up that Jamie Newman had kind of been out of commission and wasn't really taking reps during the team work, like the mini camp that we'd had the past couple weeks, and Kirby did confirm that he has indeed been dealing with a mid foot sprain. It's never good. We're talking about quarterbacks dealing with any, well, really any player dealing with foot issues, especially a guy that's a kind of a dual threat quarterback. You're kind of going to be able to to run the football and kind of be a little more dynamic for you from that position. But he is apparently back and fully cleared. Great news to be able to do everything as camp opens again. He did miss about half the mini camp, but he got those mental reps, and it's, it's great. That he's going to be back apparently ready to go full speed here as we enter fall camp and that's really good news considering that he Kirby also announced that JT Daniels coming in from Southern California has actually not been fully cleared yet now it didn't sound terrible it didn't sound like Daniels is all that far off Kirby said he's been throwing and I know for a fact he was doing seven on seven work before coaches were allowed to work with these guys so I know he's not there taking drops, taking reps, throwing the ball, getting some rhythm with his, with his receivers and tight ends, all that kind of thing. I know he's been doing that. Kirby said he'll be in a brace. What it really sounds like to me is that he just can't take contact reps right now, which really, I mean, quarterbacks don't take contact anyway in these kind of settings. So I, I think he'll be able to do a lot of the things we need him to do, but it's just apparently not fully cleared yet. And that injury, that ACL injury was almost a full year ago. Now it's the first week of the season. So what, early September, late August last year against Fresno State, so he should be getting back here, I, I would think, relatively quickly. I mean, if, even if he's not cleared fully right now, I don't think it'll be too long. That's just me speculating, but it doesn't seem like it'll be too long for him to be fully cleared and ready to go. Uh, now, now, actually, this was maybe the best news coming out of the press conference, was Kirby's announcement that tackle, true freshman tackle Broderick Jones was back and ready to open fall camp full. Go, guys. That is huge news. I thought he would be out much longer. What I have heard is that he kind of had a pretty nasty sc- scooter injury. Those infamous scooters never, ever do anything good. Um, God, too many guys get injured on these scooters. At least when they ha- when it happens, it's just like, oh, my God, seriously. So I, I heard he had a pretty bad accident and was going to be out for a little while, but he's come back a lot quicker than What I was told a couple weeks ago. And look, you know, you never know with these things, but that's just great news regardless. I'm really glad that he's back, ready to go, because I told you guys, I think this guy, I was hearing some really good things about him in the off-season workouts during the summer, kind of voluntary workouts, and he's just a freak athlete. I mean, this is a guy that, that was a freak basketball player, dunking basketballs and all sorts of crazy things, just a great athlete, can certainly play left tackle. I think right now that's going to be Jamari Sawyer's position, but at right tackle, kind of like what we saw from Andrew Thomas as a true freshman, I think Broderick Jones was a guy that was really making a push there. He obviously, he wouldn't have pads on, but he was certainly looking like he was a guy that was going to contend for that spot then you get set back with the injury. So I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not ready to say he's going to be the guy at right tackle, but it's really encouraging that he's back. I think he's going to be in the thick of that competition this entire fall camp trying to win that right tackle spot. So I think that's great news for us. Uh, also on the injury front, it had been reported over the weekend that Dominic Blaylock was cleared and ready to go off the ACL injury. And I thought that was kind of an incredible to hear considering that was in early December. So we're talking about just about eight months but Kirby kind of threw some cold water on that, just a little bit. He, and he said that, that Dom has been cleared to do some things. He can run in a straight line, can can do some lifting, that kind of stuff. But he's still not fully cleared, especially for contact, still in a black jersey out there. But at least he's making progress. And Kirby's talking about how he's worked really hard, which I would fully expect from a guy like Dominic Blaylock with his work ethic and his focus and discipline. But even though he's not fully cleared, I think he's likely going to be back by the start of the season. That's just me again, that's speculation. Maybe he's at this point right now. The season's, what five or six weeks away at this point. I think there's a really good chance he'll be fully cleared by then. Now, will he be back to 100%? I would say probably not. I mean, just judging what we've seen in recent history, Nick Chubb came back from his horrible knee injury, which I think was worse than what Dom saw, but he certainly was not 100% right away. He could play, but he wasn't the same Nick Chubb. He isn't the same, the Nick Chubb he is now. He's gotten back a couple years removed from the surgery. So I don't think Dom will be the exact same player right away, but he's got a lot of experience from last year, that he can bring to the table, and I I think that it'd be just great to get him back out there in any capacity whatsoever. So really excited to get him back. Uh, Arian Smith is a guy that we've also heard has been dealing with a couple different injuries. He had a hand injury earlier on in the offseason. He also had a meniscus injury that we'd heard a little bit about a couple weeks ago, but Kirby kind of updated his status and said, look, right now we're going to get him back. He said, quote, sometime during the season, but not sure exactly what date yet. So He's a guy that, man, he is speed, personified at the wide receiver position. He's a guy that could give us a home run threat. Now, we brought a bunch of guys in to kind of load that wide receiver room as true freshmen. So we've got plenty of guys that I think can go out there and make some plays. But Arian Smith is a guy that I was really looking forward to, trying to get on that field and see what he could do, kind of add to the equation. So it seems like he probably will be back out there at some point in the season. We just don't know when, which... A little unfortunate, but at least we know it's not necessarily season-ending. And then a couple guys that have just been banged up with some minor injuries. Monty Rice, been dealing with a little bit of a, of a lower extremity injury, it seems like. Darnell Washington had a had a scope, and an arthroscopic scope, and he's back and ready to go for fall camp, which is great news. We're going to need him to be a factor in our offense this year with – Both tight ends leaving from last year. Obviously, we've got Trey McKinney coming in as a grad transfer from Florida State, but Darnell's going to be a big fixture, I think, as well. And then DJ Daniels missed some time during the mini camp session here with the coaches, but he got a lot of reps last year, and it looks like he's ready to go as we hit fall camp. So nothing earth-shattering there, but just some things to update you guys on, and just good to be talking some Georgia football again as we open fall camp this week. Of course, we will be covering all of that throughout the next month, We have an episode planned for later this week where we will be spotlighting and breaking down all of the major position battles, so look forward to that. And I'm sure most of you have already seen this by now, but just in case you missed it, maybe you're out having fun with your family this this weekend, you maybe just missed the news on Sunday, but the SEC will be releasing the full 2020 conference only schedule Monday night at 7 p.m. on the SEC Network. We know who we're going to be playing, but now it's time to find out when exactly we will be playing all of these teams. And from what I've heard, now don't hold me to this, but what I've heard kind of behind the scenes, the previous schedules were just about completely ripped up and things are going to be moving around. Dates will be moving around. I have heard the Florida game is likely to remain the same spot just kind of due to our contract with Jacksonville. But other than that, who knows where these games will land. So I'm really looking forward to finding out how the schedule is going to shake out And of course, we will have an episode up probably Tuesday evening reacting to all of that. So a lot of actual Georgia football talk coming your way, and we are incredibly glad to be able to bring it to you guys. And hopefully things keep trending in the right direction. Let's all do our very small part out in our daily lives to make sure we can get this season in. But that's it for me today, guys. Just want to Update you in a couple things. days. Talk about Brock Bowers. Give him his due love because I think this guy is going to be a major big-time, game-changing type player for us. So excited to get him. Thanks for listening. Curse will be back later on this week to do the depth chart show to break down the schedule as it's released. So check us out later on the week. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs!